Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. This episode of the Rural Woman Podcast contains discussion of mental health, mental illness, and discussion of suicide. These themes may be upsetting to some listeners. If you or a loved one find yourself needing emotional support or are in crisis, please note the following resources and phone numbers. Crisis Service Canada, 1-833-456-4566, or send a text to 45645. The U.S. National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, one 800 273-8255 or text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor in either Canada or the U.S. All of these phone numbers and text lines, as well as other helpful resources, will be listed in today's show notes. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. On this week's episode, you'll meet Liz Halsizer from West Central Illinois. Liz grew up on her family's century farm where she was active with daily farm activities, including 4-H, FFA, and a variety of school activities. She always knew a career in agriculture was right for her, so she attended the University of Illinois, where she studied agriculture business management and had a minor in crop sciences. While still early in her career, she's already had experiences with some of the industry's top companies, including Nutrien, Pioneer, ADM, and is currently at a locally owned agriculture-centered bank. Today, in addition to her role as a trust officer, she continues her active role on her family's farm that she operates with her husband, Matt, and her mom, Sally, and her brother, Andrew, and his family. As her nephew puts it, she's the best combine operator in the family. And while Liz has certainly experienced the joys of farming, she has also experienced the deep pain that can come with it. Early in her married life to Matt, her father-in-law, David, took his own life. At that time, she and Matt quickly became the chief operators dealing with not only crops, but also hogs and cattle. They had been married a mere 13 months and weren't even 25. I am looking forward to sharing Liz's story here with you today on the podcast. I think Liz's story about before and after the loss of her father-in-law, David, will really resonate with a lot of people and the stresses that David went through as well as their family went through. And I think this is going to be a really powerful episode. So I'm looking forward again to sharing this. One thing I want to say before we get started with Liz's interview is that I actually did another interview that will be coming out on Wednesday, September 30th to wrap up the Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month here on the Rural Woman Podcast. I had the honor of interviewing Liz's sister-in-law, actually. Katie Lyons is Liz's sister-in-law, so would be David's daughter. So we get to hear from both of these incredible women about the passing of David. So make sure you guys are subscribed to the Rural Woman podcast so you don't miss that episode that comes out on Wednesday, September 30th. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Liz. Good morning, Liz. How are you? 
Good. How are you doing? I am doing very well. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for taking the time to hear a part of my story. And I just can't tell you how important it is for people to speak their truth. And I'm just grateful that you're willing to take a little part of your podcast and share some time with me. So thank you. Absolutely. I'm always happy to sit and chat and have coffee with a girlfriend instead of going out to work. So (laughs) yes. For the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, Liz, give us a brief description of who you are and where you're from. My name is Liz. I am from West Central Illinois, over by Galesburg, Illinois. I grew up on a corn and soybean farm. My dad and brother and I and my mom, we were all active in it. My mom even still drives a truck to this day. So I grew up with a really good, powerful woman as an example of how to be a partner in the farm. Knew that I wanted to do something in ag business. So I went to University of Illinois, majorist, graduated there, had some really great jobs in the ag industry, loved what I was doing, but I married a farmer. I found one just 20 minutes from me. Him and I were friends for a long time. Got married. So I was just super grateful that his farm and my farm were close enough that Neither of us had to choose which one to go to. So when I moved back home, the jobs were a little bit harder to find. So I kind of fell into a position at a local community bank and started in the trust world. Um, I'm now a trust officer at a local community bank, and I do farm management for them. So I still get my ties to the agriculture industry that way. But now my husband's dad passed away in 2013 from suicide. And then three short years later, my dad passed away from cancer. So my husband and I, before the age of 30, were kind of thrown into trying to be operators of a very tough business, I guess you would say, with no real father figure in our lives to kind of help coax you along. My brother was the same. So we have all combined together now to farm together. And so we're just in this world trying to make things work and how to be better at $3 corn and so far, I think we're doing okay. <laughs> that is a lot of loss in your family. And I want to dig into that. But first, I want to talk more about your farm and your background and all of the things mm-hmm. in agriculture. Let's talk about all of the wonderful things in agriculture. So was there ever any doubt in your mind that agriculture was going to be the career that you chose or what you wanted to focus on? No. You know, for me, I was so fortunate that my parents made farming not fun, but it was, you know, they just involved us so much that we just appreciated it and loved it. And it became this thing where there's nothing any of us would ever want to do besides that. It more just came down to what can I do outside of farming to be able to continue our dream of farming. So it more became just searching for something that allows us to continue our dream of farming. And so, you know, I've heard the saying, and I think it's so true, behind every successful farmer is a wife who works in town. And that's kind of where mine has always been, but it's never been a question of, do we want to do this? It's just, how can we do this? For sure. I love that saying. First of all, I just love that saying. But Yeah, I kind of want to like get it like huge and put it up in the front yard, but no. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and I think 
in this day and age, and I know in my husband's generation, I think there was a lot of farm families and a lot of farm parents that encouraged their children to do something off of the farm or to find things to do Mm -hmm. off of the farm. And they weren't really encouraging kids to stay. And I think that's pretty similar now to kids growing up in egg. Why do you think that is? Is it because of the stress or you come from the farm family? You tell me why parents were doing this. You know, some of it, I think, I mean, my dad even kind of did this too. I think he wanted us to get a little experience outside of the farm. He never pushed this away, but he definitely, you know, when my brother first got out of college, he had a corporate job with Monsanto. And I know that that's just happy that he was going to get some type of outside experience because the farm does kind of not trap you, but it just keeps you close. You can never really be away from the farm. You really can't go and do things and experience things because the farm always takes priority. And so I think, at least from my dad's perspective, he was happy that my brother and I both got experiences away from the farm. And I think he knew that that was how to be successful. You can't continue to always do things. You've always done them. You need to come in with new experiences. And I think that was why my dad encouraged us to do things away from the farm, but always with the mindset that we'd probably come back. For other people, when they're being encouraged to go away, I mean, we joke about it now, like, shoot, you know, we could be working pretty decent jobs, making money, taking weekends off, you know, enjoying vacations. And I think sometimes you kind of look at what everybody else is doing and think maybe they're doing the right thing. Maybe they're the ones enjoying life more than we are because we're so forced and stuck on focusing on the farm that maybe we're not enjoying life like we should. And I wonder if some parents just don't want their kids to be stressed all the time because it is, I mean, there's so many good things, but especially now it's just always stressful. There's never a day you're not thinking like, okay, you know, what's the corn market doing? Is it going to make it? How other are we going to do anything? There is no going home at night and shutting your mind off for your job. And I wonder if some parents are wanting their kids to have the freedom that maybe they're not getting. Right. Yeah. And I like what you said about having the different experiences off of the farm. So we're not doing things because that's how they were done before and getting new experiences and learning new things. So we're able to grow and adapt and make our farm businesses more viable in 2020, whatever that means for 2020, but (laughs) 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 moving on in the future, right? So I like what you said there. And yeah, like you said, we don't get to come home at the end of the night and shut our brain off and think, I don't have to go back to work until whatever time it just keeps going and flowing. So Yes. So Liz, September is Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month. We are focusing here on the Rural Woman Podcast. You obviously shared with us that you unfortunately lost your father-in-law to suicide. So if you feel comfortable, can you share more of your father-in-law's story and how that affected you, your husband, and your family? For us, leading up to it, we could tell my father-in-law was getting stressed. And about 2013 was about the time when prices kind of started to break a little bit. Prices were still much better than they are now, but things were starting to break. And we could tell that he was very stressed financially. And we, at the time, just didn't really understand why. He had been farming through much higher corn prices, bean prices. But we uh, noticed that he was getting more and more stressed. 
And as harvest went on, things were much more urgent. Like, we have to get this corn out because I have to get people paid. And it just started to kind of build. But, you know, that kind of happens in most situations. So we knew he was trapped, but we didn't really go too much further. And, you know, a sidebar to that was we had asked him several times, you know, like, oh, maybe we should downgrade this piece of equipment or this or that. And he was telling us a different story than what was actually happening at the bank. Like, oh, I only owe this much on it. It's not a big deal. So I just, we think that he just could no longer handle the reality of where things were heading. And one morning I, it was a Saturday and I I had work, I used to work about an hour and a half drive away. Woke up early in the morning. My husband was heading out to get stuff ready, get some chores done. I no sooner got to where I was working than I got a call from my husband saying that I needed to get home right now that his dad had committed suicide. And that was the longest hour and a half drive by myself in my life. And it was, you know, <clears throat> part of the, the thing that you don't realize if you've never been a part of suicide, and I hope no one ever has or has to go through it, but you know, just like when anyone else dies, the ambulance shows up, the EMTs show up, but we had to ID the body. So, you know, we as a family, my mother-in-law was there and my husband and I, and we had to go in and ID the body. And then the thing that I never realized was because it was not a natural cause of death, we actually had to be interviewed by the police. So here you are trying to wrap your head around what happened. You have ambulances and fire trucks and police and all these people at the farm and time kind of slows down and you're just trying to wrap your head around what's going on. And then you get sat down by the police and they have to ask you, you know, where were you last night? What did you do? And it's, I understand it's protocol, but it was so invasive and you're just sitting there like, I, I don't like what, what's what, why are you asking me this? This is something I should ever have to answer to. So it just happened so fast, but then time slowed down. And then because it was a farm and at the time my, my husband was more in charge of the cattle and the farm portion, but my father-in-law was in charge of the pharaoh to finish hogs. So. You know, after the police left, um, we identified the body. They took the body away. We didn't get to go in the house and try and console my mother-in-law or process anything. We had to go do chores. We had to make feed. We had to feed the pigs, go feed the cows. And so it was just, it's just, you know, I don't know what to, how to say it. It just is something where you just don't know. I don't know. I can't find the words, but it was, it's just odd. And I'm sure people thought, that's weird. Why are you leaving your mother-in-law by herself to go do chores? And it's like, well, unfortunately, like pigs need fed, the feed needed made. We're the only ones who know how to do it. And you just kind of suck it up and deal with it. But there's no, there's no time to grieve. And I think that was the hard part. And there's no time to process it. And then because of the fact that he was financially not sound, unaware to us, we didn't get to go to the funeral home and plan a funeral together as a family. You know, we had to go to the banks the next day. 
And so it just really took a lot of the grieving process away from us. I would say that we were kind of robbed of that. And it just never really gave us that chance that I think we needed and deserved to get through. So it was difficult, you know, and I just really commend Mevin because he just said, this is what we have to do. And we have to do right by the animals and the livestock. And that's what we did and just kind of carried on from there. Liz, your story is so heartbreaking. and. First of all, I just want to say I am so sorry for the loss of your father-in-law. That is something that I I don't wish on anyone. And the fact that you and your husband and your mother-in-law were not able, like you said, to grieve properly at the time that this happened is just like, it makes me so, so very upset for you. And like you said, if talked to anyone else outside of agriculture, they would have thought, what are you doing? Like, you're doing this wrong. Mm -hmm. But like you said, the animals need to be fed. The crops need to come off. Life needs to move on. And it's so sad. And it's so unfortunate that you guys didn't get the time that you deserved to grieve the loss of your father-in-law. So I'm very sorry that that happened to you. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing, and maybe we'll get that later, but, you know, when, like, my dad died, we had time. It was cancer. So we had time to make some memories. We had time to take the pictures. We had time to say goodbye. So our grieving process, while still very difficult, was truly happy. And in this one, suicide is such a different, I don't know a better term, it's just a different animal from any other grief. And so you go through periods of sadness in the station, and then you go through periods of anger. Like, why, why would you leave us? Like, we're pretty great. You know, you, you kind of go through these <clears throat> feelings of like, why would you choose to leave us? And that's, that's not what he did. I don't know that now, but at that time, you just go through this much weirder, raw emotions than you do with normal people pass. And I think sometimes at the beginning, people just probably when they talked to us didn't really understand because there were times we're just angry. Like, wh why would you leave us? What, why, why, or how could you do that? And then there was times just devastation. And then you have guilt. Like we should have done more. Why didn't we do more? And it just is so raw and so different than any other person passing naturally or through an accident or anything that it just it's a very difficult thing to process and I'm sure there's several times where people probably just were like I don't really understand what they're doing and you know I think for especially my husband working was his way of coping and continuing on the farm was his way of really coping with the loss so in some ways I was grateful that we had the farm to focus on and give us a goal to get through. Right. For sure. So at the time, you were a newlywed, essentially, and you were so young when this happened. Can you share with us how you and Matt handled this through your young marriage? The thing about Matt and I that I am just beyond grateful for is we were very much so friends before we were even dating. 
So we always had this respect for each other. And I think that played a huge part in this, but it just, there was never a moment where I was like, well, this is your deal. I have a full-time job. Like that's my deal. It was, we are a team and we're going to get through this together. And whether that meant at 5am him and I were doing chores together, you know, I'd head up to my full-time job. He'd go out to harvest. We'd come back, split chores again. We just really acted as a team and never let either person feel like they were on their own. And, you know, it was, it was very tough. You know, it takes several years in a marriage for you to kind of figure out your spouse and how to talk to them about hard things or talk to them about this or work through being really stressed. And sometimes the anger gets taken out on your spouse and it just does. That's just a natural thing. So we were very young to be thrown into probably conversations that some people don't have to deal with for 10 years of their marriage or you know, a lot of farm families are very fortunate. They're 60 when their dad's still alive and they don't have to talk about the hard conversations of a quit taking all of this on and how are we going to do it? And we were thrown into it very young and just communication and making sure that, especially for me, that Matt never felt like he was on his own in this situation. And we were so grateful. We had a lot of my brother really stepped up. My parents stepped up. His sister came home a lot and we had great friends that were there through all of it, helping us as they could. But yeah, 13 months in, we were supposed to be going on a honeymoon and we had to cancel that. We, we never went. We were supposed to be going to friends' weddings and we weren't. So a lot of things that at that age we should have been doing, we weren't. And I feel like we were doing things that maybe 50 or 60 year olds were having to cope with, with their spouse that they've been married to for 20 years. And we were just a year in. So it was a lot. There's a lot of moments of sitting on our office floor crying, like, how are we going to do this? How's it going to work? It was difficult, but we both made sure that we were a team through it all. And I think that's the only reason we're on the other side of that. Now we're just fortunate. We had good family and friends and, a good face that got us through, but it was just difficult. Right. Well, and like you said before, it's dealing with a suicide is so much different than dealing with a loss through an illness or an accident. And that added stress of losing somebody and going through the emotions of being sad and being angry and all of the things on top of being a newlywed, Liz, I, I am in awe of you because that is more stress than I think a lot of people can handle. So that obviously speaks to your character and to your husband's character as well. Well, and I, you know, I think I was not fortunate because I I don't find it fortunate that my dad had cancer, but I was fortunate to have a mom that worked on the farm actively, drove a grain truck, did all that. And then I watched my dad get diagnosed with cancer and my mom really have to step up and help out and do even more than she already was doing. And so I felt through it all that if she can do it, I can do it. And there were times where, you know, our marriage was tested, our faith tested, but we just really made sure to keep each other together and be a team. And as long as you're as a team and on the same page, you can get through it. But yeah, the emotions were raw and there was Several times, I'm sure that, you know, my husband and I were fighting probably in the hog building, but then you just 
left the hog building and knew like that wasn't personal. That was just a frustration because of everything we're dealing with. And as soon as we hit the truck and at home, we were fine. And I think that was a big maturity part on our part to not hold it over. I think some young couples are like, oh, you said da 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 to me and how dare you? And I think we both knew maturity wise that, you know, while we were in the hog building sorting pigs was nothing personal. It was just, you know, we're frustrated and the two of us are the only ones to take it out on each other. So it was a big growing point for us and a lot more maturity than most have. And I think we had big pretty quick. So for sure. I think that's good advice and good words of wisdom for any farm marriage, regardless of what you're going through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Liz, how has your family moved forward after the loss of your father-in-law, David? I am so proud of my family. We just came together and it was no longer about like, well, you know, I've been here doing this and you're doing that. It was very, we're a team. And all we wanted to do was make his mom was taken care of and that the farm continued on. And my family just swooped right in, really started helping as well. We had wonderful neighbors and friends show up and help us. And, you know, without any of those people, we could not have been where we are today. I mean, it's taken time. It's, it, we're still healing from what happened. You know, my and I are still trying to figure out what's a normal life for us because it's not what we envisioned. You know, we put having children on hold because of this. And like I said, we didn't go on a honeymoon. You know, so, so much little details, but also big things were put on the back burner. And I think the plans for our life have been changed. But our family has come together and become stronger because of it. And we all have much harder questions than we ever had before because that's the only way we're going to get through this is through communication and keeping up on how everyone's doing. You know, we're all very open to if we're in counseling, how it's going. And I think that's been huge. And my family and Matt's family have come together and made just one family where we all celebrate Thanksgivings together. And our moms have a bond together because they're both widows at a young age with farms trying to make it. You know, all of us kids have lost parents. And so we all have something to bond over. Our nephews don't have grandpas on either side. And that's something for them to bond over. So we've just really enveloped ourselves together and surrounded ourselves with each other in love. And I'm proud of where we've come, but it has been a long, hard road, a lot of hard conversations, a lot of crying around the dining room table of how are we going to do this? What are we doing? What's our goals? Can we make things work? Can we keep farming? And that's something for the longest time with my husband's family that we just had to sit and talk about, like, how are we going to pay all these bills that either we weren't aware of or weren't aware they were so large? And just everyone taking their ego out and knowing that all we're doing is we're doing this for our family and for the farm. And I am just beyond proud because in any situation when someone passes, there's sometimes a family 
tiff or a fight or, well, I want this or I deserve this. And that never happened with our family. It was just, nope, what do we need to do to get this taken care of? And are we going to keep on farming? And so I'm just beyond grateful that egos were dropped and we all just loved on each other and all we want is the best for each other. And that's why I'm very proud and grateful for where we are today, but it's not been easy by any means. For sure. And like you said, taking the ego basically out of any situation is important, but particularly over the loss of a loved one, I think it's important to make sure that you're just showing up and loving on your family and knowing that you all want what's best for each other moving forward. So I also am very proud of your family. That is a big accomplishment for all of you. Well, thank you. So Liz, were there any resources or are there any resources that you still currently use that you find are particularly helpful for you or your family members in dealing with the loss of David? We are huge advocates for counseling. I cannot stress enough how important counseling is for anyone, especially in farming. Like, even if you're fine, counseling is huge and it gives a place for you to talk about things without feeling guilty that you're putting it on your family. So, we've utilized counseling a lot. All of us have gone at one point or another. Some of us go back, some of us, you know, take a little bit longer and go back again, but we all have utilized counseling and then very much so we're not afraid or ashamed by any means but being on uh, medicine depression medicine anxiety medicine all those things help because this is greater than us and needing help along the way is nothing to be ashamed of and that's something that i hope that other farmers or just people in general can learn that there's nothing to be ashamed about if you need a little bit of help. And sometimes that little bit of help can make a world of a difference in how you perceive things or how you handle things. But that's been huge. You know, when we've relied on our friends, our family, finding a good church for us was huge, speaking to our pastor. And then the other thing is just our outlet for speaking about it. And I think that the more we speak about it, the more not that we normalize it, but the more that we really help ourselves heal in the path of trying to help others avoid it or realize they're not alone. And I think making people realize that they're not alone is one of the most powerful tools that we have in sharing our stories. Yeah. And I myself am a big advocate for counseling. I'm an advocate for if you need medication to just take the edge off, I think you should do it. Like you said, mm -hmm. it's bigger than we are. And I don't think there should be shame in any of this. And there is no shame in needing help. So thank you for sharing that with And I've always likened it to when my husband and I have spoken in front of rooms of farmers when we've discussed our story. I always liked it to when my dad had cancer. He would have done anything to be able to pay for a $30 bottle of pills to fix or help him. And that's all that depression medicine is. It could be a $30 bottle to help you be your best self. And when you liken it that way, we're just like, you know what? There's a lot of people that would kill to be able to have just a $30 bottle of medicine help you. And so when you liken it to that, it's like, well, that's not a big deal anymore. Like, 
this is helping me just as much as chemotherapy helps someone else. And I think once you liken it to that, it takes off some of that shame, maybe from needing to get medicine for help. Absolutely. Liz, what are your hopes for the future when it comes to mental health awareness in agriculture? You know, my hope is that it is talked about just as much as someone that breaks an arm or has cancer. I hope that it's discussed like, hey, you know what? Like, I'm not doing well today. And people to say, oh, okay, you know, go home and take care of yourself instead of, well, we don't talk about that. And I think the, I feel like it's beginning to shift. You know, we're so fortunate to have someone like Adrian in our community and in the industry really getting out there and trying to talk about it. And more and more people are talking about it. And my husband and I have noticed the more we talk about it, the more people come back to us and say, you know what? I had a lifetime during the 80s or things that they probably never would have spoke about before. They're now sharing their story. So I just hope it becomes normalized because it is just as much something out of control at times as any other diagnosis. And so until we take that stigma away, there's going to be more and more people that contemplate suicide because they feel like there's no way out because they're ashamed maybe of what gone through. And if we can take that stigma away, we can save lives and save families and, you know, really change the way that mental illness perceived. And I hope that happens sooner rather than later. And I feel like the tide is finally turning where those hard conversations are being had more and more. And people that are maybe of the older generation that have always kind of kept to themselves, I have them even opening up as well. And I think that's just so powerful for where we are now. Right. And like you said, even by sharing our own stories, it helps other people open up and share their stories as well. I know for me personally, sharing my struggles with illness was difficult at first, but once I started talking about it, it seemed like it was just a regular, normal conversation that I could have with people. Yeah. And I think once you get over that hurdle of starting, then it becomes easier to talk about. And these conversations, let me just say, are not easy to have. Talking about the loss of your father-in-law and by you sharing your story, I know this isn't easy because it's painful, but these are the necessary conversations that we as a community have to have to stop or help curve the wave of mental illness and suicides that are happening in agriculture because yeah. the numbers are outrageous, yeah. just absolutely horrible. Yeah, absolutely. So Liz, are there any last thoughts that you would like to leave the listeners with today? You know, the biggest one for me is as a person that had a family member that committed suicide, what I want others to know is it's very difficult for people to talk about death. I've been through it twice now with both of our dads. Sometimes people don't know what to say or they feel like, oh, I don't want to bring up, you know, like, how are you doing? I don't want them to cry. And I had a lot of people say that to me. Like, well, I don't want to ask your mother-in-law how she's doing because I don't want to make her cry or I don't want to make her uncomfortable. And I know it's uncomfortable for them, but my biggest thing that I've told everyone, whether it was with my mom or Matt's mom or Matt or myself is, We are uncomfortable 24 hours a day while we deal with this. 
24 hours a day, we are uncomfortable. You asking me how I'm doing isn't all of a sudden reminding me that my father-in-law committed suicide. But for you to take that 15 minutes and bring yourself down to my uncomfortable level makes me feel less alone. And so that's always been my takeaway is I know it's not fun to watch someone cry and it is uncomfortable, but they're uncomfortable all the time. And so when you take that 15 minutes and be uncomfortable with them, you're filling in a little piece of lonely that they have felt ever since the tragic accident happened. And that's, I think, one of the other things that I really want is, you know, we want to end suicide. We want to end mental illness as a stigma, but we also want people to know maybe how to handle that with suicide because it is still a topic that people don't want to talk about. And that makes the healing process worse because you can tell when people are trying to avoid the conversation. That's my, one of my things is I just want people to put themselves in our shoes and realize like they're uncomfortable. They already know that their father-in-law committed suicide three months ago. Like, but for me to ask them how they're doing takes away the loneliness, even 15 minutes and gives them a little something to hold on to for the day. And I hope that not only do we end the stigma of mental illness, but we end the stigma not having tough conversations with those that are actually dealing with it. That was perfectly said, Liz. And thank you so much for sharing that because through my interviews this month, that is one thing that all of the ladies have said is the uncomfortableness of others is making the situation for them even more uncomfortable. So that is perfect. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Oprah would say this is an aha moment. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's just something, you know, you deal with it even when someone passes away normally. Sometimes people don't want to talk about it. And it's like, look, like, I know it's comfortable, but we're uncomfortable. Just, Just have a conversation with me, please. Like, I just want to feel less lonely. And I think that's what we're all wanting in the world. And I just hope that we'll do that more. Yes. So good. Liz, thank you so much for sharing your story with us here on the Real Woman podcast today. I hope this is helpful to others. I know it's helpful to others. And I hope that this will help you and your family continue to honor your father-in-law, David, and his legacy that he left on the farm and help your family continue to grow and grow to be just one big old happy family unit as happy as you can be. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. For the listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? I am so open to having conversations or sharing my story or listening to other people's stories. So the best way right now would just be through email. My email address is e Bowman, which is my maiden name. I haven't changed it. So, you know, only eight years in and I'm still going off my old maiden <laughs> name address, ebowman9 at gmail.com. And then from there, you know, I'm on Facebook, Liz Holsizer, but email would be the best because sometimes I think having a private conversation makes it easier for everyone to get started on sharing their stories. That would just be awesome if I got a couple emails like that. So 
Awesome. I will put your email in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you and send you an email, even though it's your maiden name. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. It hasn't been as long, only four years, but I still have my maiden name on a lot of things. Boys have no idea, like, you know, let alone like getting your social security changed. Like that's such a pain in your driver's <laughs> license. When you get to your email, you're like, I'm already set up to get sales from yeah. <laughs> the stores. Like it just is what it is, Matt. I love you. I have a wedding ring on. We're good. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Liz, for sharing your story with us today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And I just Anyone that is taking the time during September or anything to bring a light to this, like I just commend you because it needs to be done. And I'm so grateful that there are people out there that realize the importance of it and use their platform to really share a story. So thank you so much for what you're doing, not only for suicide prevention and awareness, but just for women representing agriculture. I just think it's amazing. And I commend you for that. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.